Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, what's going on, Church by the Glades? So glad y'all are here today. For those that don't know, my name is Nick. I'm the student pastor here at CBG, and I'm so glad you decided to join us for church today. We are in the middle of a new series. We're entitling Undead Iguanas. And if it's your first time here at CBG, maybe you're thinking to yourself, you're in a series titled, what? Am I in the right place? Did I make it to church? Yes, I assure you, you are in the right place. As a matter of fact, Pastor David last week brilliantly broke down the heart behind this series. So if you've not checked that out yet, I'd really encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and watch his sermon. It's so good. But in the meantime, let me give you the Spark Notes version of the big idea on this series. Here's what it is. God wants to bring new life into the dead, dysfunctional, and decaying parts of your life. In other words... No matter what the the situation you are currently facing looks like, there is hope for God to breathe new life. There is hope for revival. There is hope for renewal. There is hope for restoration. There is hope for resurrection. There is hope for redemption. With Jesus, there is always hope. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you haven't noticed just yet, I'm not doing it alone. We've got an amazing line of communicators here with me today that are going to be sharing a a story or a passage of scripture from the Bible that I believe will lead us to conclude that God really is a God of hope. But we don't have much time to do so, so let's jump right into it and talk about hope. Okay, has anyone ever encountered somebody who is annoyingly optimistic? Like, you know the kind of person, like, no matter what happens to them, they never have a bad day. Like, they could catch a flat on the way to work, spill coffee in their lab, get sucker punched in the face by their boss, and their spouse dips on them all on the same day, talking about, have you seen the weather outside? It is such a beautiful day. Like, bro, no, it's not. I don't know what dictionary you've been smoking, but that's not what beautiful day means to me. <laughs> now... Don't hear me wrong. I I think optimism is actually very important. I think seeing things in a positive light is proven to enhance your mental well-being. So optimism does have its place in your life. So I don't share this to, to rag on optimism. Rather, I share it to note that while optimism and hope are often used synonymously and closely correlated, optimism is not hope. How do I know this? Well, I know this because even as an optimistic person myself, I am not exempt from facing things that every once in a while take a serious toll on my optimism. And if I were to guess, today most of us have experienced something that in some way, shape, or form has left us feeling like we have no hope. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a marital problem. Maybe it's something with your children. Maybe it's something with your finances. I really don't know what it is for you. But I do know this, that whatever is stressing you out is a very valid concern that requires your attention, not your optimistic denial. However, we all knew that was coming. However, while in the middle of the situation that you are facing, while it might not bring positive thoughts or feelings of happiness, I do know that in the middle of your situation, you can still have hope. I know this because hope is not optimism. Hope is an eager expectation that that what your desired outcome is will happen no matter how bleak your current circumstances may seem. 
Hope is an attitude of realism that perceives life and its situations at face value, but it's also a spirit of optimism that understands this is not the end of my story and God still has the final say. And in his famous letter to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul speaks to the hope that we have in Jesus. He, he pens this beautiful statement found in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at, what it, look at what it says in this scripture. Being confident of this. Somebody say confidence. confidence. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see... The, the beauty of the Christian life is that it is a life that is filled with divine hope. And what this scripture means is that God is faithful to finish what he started. What this scripture means is that there is hope for you and I that, that what we're seeing right now in our life is not what we will always be facing. And, and the beauty of this scripture is that what the outcome that you hope for is not some unfathomable event that you will spend the rest of your life hoping for but never actually attaining. But rather, if what you hope for is consistent with God's will for your life, the scripture says that you can be confident in what you hope for. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, puts it as plainly as this. Look at what it says. I want you to read the highlighted words with me. Now, faith is the assurance. It's the certainty of things what? Hoped for. It's the certainty that what you hope for will actually happen. The, the faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it involves the most solid possible conviction that, that what you hope for will happen. It is a God-given assurance in the presence of a reality that has yet to come in the future. What this means is that if you are still in the middle of your storm, if, if your life isn't where you thought it would be by this age, if things haven't panned out like you planned it to, then you can have faith that your current situation will not be your future story. This is the hope that we profess as believers, that in Jesus, your best days are still ahead of you. And, and listen to me, it may not happen next week, next month, next year. It may not even happen until you cross into the other side of eternity. But we can be sure that with Jesus it gets better. This is the hope we have as Christ followers. This is the hope for humanity, and it only happens by faith in Christ. Hey, church, would you help me welcome our next speaker for the day, Mrs. Daryl Grillo? Yo, what is going on, Church by the Glades? If you don't know me, my name is Daryl Grillo, and I'm on staff here as a worship leader. I also get to be a part of our student ministry we call The Wave. Shout out to The Wave Student Ministry. And man, I am simply blown away by what I get to be a part of because it wasn't long ago that I was simply an attendee of Church by the Glades. My mom and I, we would come every single Sunday. We would sit in the very seats that you're sitting in and we would hear a word from Pastor David. And actually, as Pastor David mentioned last week, we began attending around that resurrection period of our church back when the building was still on University Drive. And we hadn't been attending long before we outgrew that location and we moved to this location. However, this specific building hadn't existed yet. We were across the breezeway in our original worship center. And it was in that original worship center that I had felt God call me to join the worship team. And I've never audibly heard God, but I just felt this nudge. I felt this push to sign up and join. And my gut reaction to this 
was to run, <laughs> to go the other way. I was hit with anxiety like a ton of bricks along with plenty of doubt, and I just did not want to be taken out of my comfort zone. It terrified me to join the worship team. And I just remember sitting there arguing with God in my mind, like trying to find a loophole, trying to find some way out of this, like, God, this can't be what you're asking me to do. I was a Christian wanting to rebel against what God was calling me to do. And what's so encouraging is that my story isn't too different, too, it isn't too far off from the story of Jonah, all right? You see, Jonah was a prophet whom God spoke to and told him to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, for they were an evil city. And Jonah's gut reaction to this was to run, to go the other way. He did not want to do it. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One, the Ninevites were a violent people, okay? They were a capture you, torture you, kill you, and then put your dead body on display type of evil. I wouldn't want to go and preach to them either. But another reason he didn't want to go, which I actually find kind of funny, is he was actually concerned that they would repent and that they would turn from their evil ways, thus being spared God's wrath. Petty much? <laughs> but honestly, I can identify with Jonah a little too much sometimes because we all got that petty side, okay? Um, but Jonah decided to run, and thank God that he is a God of second chances. And that is the overarching theme of the book of Jonah, and we're going to see that unfold here together, beginning in chapter 1, uh, picking up in verses 3 and 4, and they read like this. It says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So we see that no matter the lengths Jonah went through to try and avoid God's plan for his life, God was always near. One of the most humbling mistakes that we could ever make is thinking that we could ever escape God's presence. And God proved that to Jonah by sending a storm his way to try and get his attention. And you may not think this right now, but the storm that you could be facing could be God's second chance for you. A divine redirection, if you will, if you're a Christian rebelling against God, that is. And Jonah was just this prophet going through all of this stuff. And one of the ways that God guides us is through our circumstances. And so if you're facing those negative circumstances, that could just be a storm custom made just for you. And another incredibly humbling mistake that we can make is thinking that God will not accomplish his will because we decide to go another direction. Man, we see that come to pass in the rest of the story, picking up in verse 12. God proves this truth. It says, he answered them, he being Jonah, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us perish because of this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
So God used Jonah's rebellion to minister to these men on the boat who had been previously praying to false gods. That means that God used Jonah's disobedience to make these sailors who previously did not have a relationship with him pray to him. So even in our rebellion then, even when we fail God, even when we make mistakes, God will still do an unbelievable and undeniable work. Ultimately, we don't decide what God accomplishes. We merely decide where we fall into the plan. And right now, Jonah found himself in a little bit of a sticky situation. Literally, I would imagine it's very sticky, having been swallowed by a giant fish. And actually, I think Jonah is the perfect example of an undead iguana because if you had been swallowed by a giant fish, I would assume you're dead and gone. <laughs> but Jonah was swallowed by this giant fish. His life was spared. And he prays to God from the belly of the fish. We see that when we pick up in chapter 2. It says this, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. Some of us don't get right with God until our circumstances swallow us whole. And if you're in those circumstances right now, I actually have some great news. Rock bottom is not a bad place to be if it gets you back on track with God. Because that is exactly what happened between Jonah and God. Jonah eventually hit rock bottom, chose obedience. He was released from the fish. He went on to go and preach to the Ninevites, and they repented, and they turned from their evil ways. Don't wait until God has to intervene within your circumstances to get you to where he wants you to go. Because literally every single second is an opportunity for a second chance with God because his grace is limitless. Jonah got his second chance. The Ninevites got their second chance. And even those sailors got their second chance. Yours is waiting for you too. Now come on, I need you to keep that energy up as I have the honor of introducing to you your next speaker. Give it up for Pastor Lucas Gomez. Thank you, Darylin. Like Daryl said, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm willing to bet this weekend at Church by the Glades, we have dozens, if not hundreds, of tattoos of a cross. A couple on stage. We see the cross on billboards, on bumper stickers, on T-shirts. You can't drive by our church on the sawgrass without seeing a giant cross. We sang songs today about the cross. And I think if I asked the average Christian, why did Jesus die on the cross? They would say, Jesus died on the cross to pay for my, for my sins, right? You guys have heard this before. I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did. And I realized being a Christian for most of my life, I'm very familiar with this concept of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I've heard this a thousand times in a thousand different ways. And it's important to remember, for somebody who's not a Christian, this might sound kind of weird. It might sound crazy. It might make absolutely no sense to them. It's okay to ask a follow-up question and to do some research when you hear this. And I heard a question about the cross that I wanna ask you guys today. And I want us all to answer it together. After someone explained the forgiveness we receive on the cross, this person replied, okay, so the cross is all about forgiveness, but why? Why did Jesus have to die so I could be forgiven? If God wanted to forgive humanity, could he not just say, I forgive you? 
Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And so I told you, I grew up in church and my sophomore year in high school, I decided I was gonna audition to play guitar for the worship team here at Church by the Glades. In my first band rehearsal, I showed up and there was a guy on bass named Jose. Jose, awesome part of our church. Some of you guys may know him. He and I are friends to this day. He and I were great buddies, and around our early 20s, he moved to California. I think he was doing that thing people do in their early 20s where, like, he had to go find himself, so he moved to California. But it all worked out. He found himself. He was over there, I guess. So I have something to do in San Francisco, and I call Jose. I'm like, Jose, I'm going to California. Can I stay with you? He said, absolutely. So I stayed with Jose. He drove me through San Francisco traffic where I needed to be for no reason. I could have Ubered. He just wanted to hang out. So Jose took really good care of me, and at the end of the trip, I was like, can I please do something for you? Can I at least fill your tank? Can I, can I put gas in your car? And he didn't want a penny from me. He's like, fine, you can put gas in my car. So his car's on E. It's the night before I leave, so I hop in his car, and I'm going to the gas station right by his house. And I'll make a long story short, because I don't have too much time, but also this whole thing is very embarrassing for me. As I'm turning in, it's dark. There's hills in San Francisco, and it's flat in Florida. I don't know. I was trying to turn in, and this guy appears out of nowhere. And I swerve not to hit this guy, and I smash Jose's car directly into a curb going into the gas station. I destroyed the front right side of his car. Tire was flat. The rim was bent. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So hours later, AAA gets there. They work on the car. It's the middle of the night because AAA never comes fast. Jose gets there. He's like, what have you done to my car? This is the simplest task, Lucas. How did you do this? So he's driving us home. Obviously, I will never drive his car again. Somehow we are still friends today. I'm just like groveling. I'm like, Jose, I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. Please forgive me. And he finally looks over me. He's like, Lucas, it's okay. It was an accident. I forgive you. And that's the end of the story. No, wait, hold on. Something else happened. Okay, so I destroyed, yeah, I smashed his car. He forgave me. That's right. Somebody had to pay. Somebody had to pay. Listen, he could absorb the cost. I could absorb the cost. But somebody had to pay. And it's easy to put a number on a situation like this, right? I remember what it cost. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what about a situation where there is no number, there is no dollar amount that can fix what happened? Have you ever really trusted somebody and they lied to you? Have you ever been cheated on? Have you ever been taken advantage of? When that person said, I'm sorry, did the damage that was done disappear? Of course not. And when you decide to forgive that person, listen to me, this is rare. This is really difficult. When you really decide to forgive, I'm talking about, I don't wanna see that person suffer. I'm not gonna hold on to my hatred. I don't wanna lash out in revenge. That is painful. That is a process. Forgiveness is suffering. Listen to me, forgiveness is not free. When Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed the pain. He absorbed the wounds. He absorbed the weight of every sin committed by humanity against God. And that is why it's so important to our faith. Listen to me, Jesus is not just some guy. Because if we sin against God, and then some guy shows up, he's a great teacher, he dies on a cross, how does that pardon me of my sin? The Bible says that Jesus was God in the flesh, the human manifestation of God. God stepped down from heaven to earth and felt the pain and the suffering of the cross to pardon us of our sin because forgiveness is not free and Jesus paid the price. And so in church, we talk about this free gift of God's grace. You're gonna hear this a lot if you keep coming to church. There's this free gift of grace, this free gift of salvation for you. It's true, it's free for us because Jesus paid it all. 
So to answer the question very directly, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He didn't have to. He chose to. In the greatest act of love the world has ever seen, God chose to take the punishment of sin for us. That is what the cross represents. And so I have one verse, just one verse, Romans 6, 23. I love this verse. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that price. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope that we have as Christians, that Jesus paid it all. Forgiveness is not free. And God chose to take the punishment for us. Church, would you give it up for our next speaker, the best life group coordinator in the world. Come on, give it up for Cass. Woo. What is up, church? If you guys don't know me, my name is Cassidy. Like Lucas said, I'm our life group director here at Church by Glades. Safe to say, I love what I get to do. But I've gotten to introduce myself a few times. I've kind of narrowed it down to this one sentence, and this one sentence is this. I may be five foot zero, but my personality makes me eight foot two, all right? It's just gonna change every service. Next service will probably be nine foot seven. I don't know, something ridiculous. And so I'm extremely sarcastic. My nickname, nickname on the street is Cass with the Sass. And I enjoy calling people out. I enjoy calling people out. Listen, I have found though that my height comes at an advantage when it comes to calling people out. Because when you're semi-adorable, and I say semi because I'm on the stage, I gotta be humble. When you're semi-adorable, and you're built like you're 12 years old, it makes it that much easier to call people out. And so today I'm gonna call you out. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. She about to call us out. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have some fun. I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. Maybe, maybe. So uh, I'm gonna let you guys in on the process. PD had texted us and he was like, listen, I want you guys to talk about three different topics. Either resurrection, hope, or second chances. And I chose resurrection because I was actually thinking about it the weekend before. And it was while we were singing a song called We Believe For It. If you guys don't know how it goes, the, cor the chorus kind of goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> God, move the immovable. Break the unbreakable. We believe for it. And as we were singing it, my little pessimistic mind goes, do we believe for it? Wow. See, for God to move the immovable means that there's something in your life that you cannot move with your own strength. For God to break the unbreakable means that there is a habit or stronghold in your life that you have tried to break free from but cannot. Right. And oftentimes when the situation presents itself into our lives, do we actually flee from God, forget these lyrics, and do not believe for it? I came here to call you out. And so the same idea kind of applies to the idea of resurrection as well. When something dies in your life, and I don't necessarily mean a physical death, maybe a death in marriage, a death in your finances, a death in a dream, a death of a business, whatever it is, when something dies in your life, often we mourn with finality instead of mourning with expectation. We know we serve a resurrecting God, but we forget that. But how many of you guys know that for something to be resurrected, it first has to die? So I was thinking about this passage, and it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, and it reads this. It's going to be on the screens. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. And so what happened was the official had ran up on Jesus, was like, Jesus, my baby girl has died. But I know you can heal her. And this was probably the, the official's last choice, last chance. This was his actually only hope. So Jesus goes on the scene. He says, get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. I was kind of wondering, 
why would Jesus say she's not dead, she's only asleep? Was it because Jesus knew when he stepped onto the scene something was about to happen? Was it because Jesus knew when he stepped onto the scene what seemed dead to everybody else was only a setup for a miracle? Was it because he knew when he stepped onto the scene what seemed dead to everybody else was only a vessel to show his glory? What seemed dead to everybody else was only asleep. See, where the crowd had laughed and the crowd had mourned, Jesus was expectant. So for all intents and purposes, yeah, in fact, she was only asleep and not dead because Jesus had stepped onto the scene. And when Jesus steps onto the scene, what seems dead to everybody else is only asleep. Church, I need you to get comfortable when something in your life appears, and I say appears, to have died. Because how many of us now know that it is only sleeping? So when to everybody else looks like your marriage is over, that dream has died, your fight for sobriety is done for, we now can hold on to the hope that it's not dead, it is only sleeping and waiting for our God to step onto the scene. But I gotta qualify all of that with this. Sometimes when God resurrects something, it won't look the same way that we think it will. In this situation, he does resurrect the girl and she is the same girl, but more than likely, I don't think God's gonna resurrect that toxic relationship back into your life. But what is resurrection? It is just breathing new life for old life once existed. So I promise you this, he is gonna breathe new life for old life once existed. Where there was mourning, now there is praising. Where there was hope, now there is hope. So Cassidy, what does this all mean? I'm so glad you asked. Church, I need you to stop mourning like your situation is dead. I need you to stop mourning like your situation is over. I need you to stop mourning with finality and start mourning with expectation. I need you to start believing that God is going to move in your life the only way that he can move. So when to everybody else it seems dead, when even to you it seems dead, I need you to now hold on to the hope that it is not dead. It is waiting for your God to step onto the scene. So I want you to remember this, for something to be resurrected, it first has to die and you serve a resurrecting God. Church, I have the honor and the privilege of introducing our next guest, Pastor Charlie Hughes. Can you guys help me by making some noise and thanking all these amazing speakers behind me? My name is Charlie Hughes. I have the honor of leading the young adult movement here at church by the Glaze called Rally. Where all my young adults at, people between the ages of 18 and 30, make some noise, make some noise. I really hope you all choose to come rally with us this Friday, but I only got like two minutes to preach a whole idea, so I need to preach like Buster Rhymes and get it moving. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 12 reads, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I love verses that keep it simple. And at first glance, this verse seems to be a three-ingredient recipe for spiritual success in your life and mine. And I, I'm thankful for this. But the more I think about the first part of this three-part verse, be joyful in hope, the more confused I become. I'm like, be joyful in hope? What does that mean? I don't know about you, but in my mind, joy and hope are kind of the same thing. They seem somewhat synonymous to one another because I don't think you can have one without the other. Like, I don't know what type of hope you're experiencing if it's not accompanied by joy. And I don't know if you could truly have joy if you don't have some kind of hope. So this first part of this verse kind of confuses me. But I think if we want to get a better understanding and a more complete picture 
of what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans 12, 12, be joyful and hope, we should ask ourselves the question, in what do most people find hope? I think most people, myself included at times, find hope in the potential of something they have been wanting and waiting for beginning to be realized. Like maybe right now you say, yeah, I've got hope because I think I'm about to get a raise. Yeah, I've got lots of hope right now because I'm in the running for this promotion. Oh, I've got so much hope because I've had a long, successful career and I'm getting ready to retire. Or maybe uh, you recently started attending a life group here at Church by the Glades and you've met some really cool people and you're like, I can see myself becoming really good friends with these people. That's giving me hope. Maybe you've been on a few dates with a special someone and things have been going good and you're hopeful that that person you have been on a few dates with will become someone who you are now officially dating. Or maybe you've been dating someone for a few years now and the future's looking bright, or should I say shiny? Are there any ladies in the room that I'm preaching to right now who have some hope? Just look right ahead. Don't look at them. Just look right at me. Keep your eyes on me. There could be a plethora of reasons why you are currently experiencing hope. But if the reason you are experiencing hope at this moment in your life are any of the reasons that I just gave to you, we might have a problem. Because I don't think this is the type of hope that Romans 12, 12 is describing. Because if you're finding your hope in potential, I don't think you are being joyful in hope. I think you are being happy in hope. Happiness is based on and rooted in happenings. And I don't think there's anything wrong with finding your hope in potential. There's nothing bad about finding hope based on happenings. It's just that I don't think this is the fullness or best that God has for you. Because hope that is rooted in potential, hope that is based on happenings, ultimately has an expiration date. It is hope that you will find out has a hole in it. I would not call it shallow hope, but I would call it hollow hope. So don't be frustrated, don't be upset, don't be confused, don't be caught off guard when your hope rooted in potential eventually runs out. But as I understand it, joy is different from happiness in that it's everlasting. It is a supernatural feeling of fulfillment and pleasure that is consistent, continual, eternal, unceasing, perpetual. So with this in mind, this means it's transcendent of circumstance, situation, or happening. So what I'm beginning to gather from this verse when it tells us to be joyful and hope is that your hope will only be as reliable, will only be as strong, will only be as long-lasting as what you choose to place your hope in. So if you want hope that makes you happy and lasts for a moment, go ahead. Place your hope in potential. Oh, but if you want a hope that makes you joyful and is incapable of failing you and disappointing you, then place your hope in something just as never failing and consistent and perpetual like the promises of God. I think the reason why sometimes we can take a look at our world and it can seem as if there's no hope is because we've gotten too used to finding hope in the potential of what excites us rather than in the promises that God has made to us. So we'll take a survey of our lives when there seems to be no potential for anything exciting. We feel as if there's no hope. 
But if I could share with you a truth that I believe carries more hope and joy than any of us can ever even wrap our minds around, the Word of God has stood the test of time. It is living, it is breathing. You should read it, but really it wants to read you. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And what I wanna do is I wanna end this time we spent together today by helping you shift your eyes from the potential you've been searching for that may not exist and definitely cannot provide you the hope that you need to promise is scripture that God makes about himself and makes about his relationship with you that I believe will give you the hope that you need. To every anxious person under the sound of my voice, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven read, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To every person who's afraid, 2 Timothy 1.7 encourages you with, for God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. To every person here who feels ashamed right now, Psalm 103 verse 12 reads, as far as your east is from the west, so far as God removed your transgressions, your sins, your mistakes, your faults from you. To every person here who believes they're alone, Psalm 23 4 reads, even though you may walk down the darkest valley, you don't have to fear any evil for your God, your shepherd, your Lord is with you, his rod, his staff, they come for you. To every person here today who feels heartbroken, Psalm 34, 18 reads, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. To every person here who's feeling disappointed right now, Romans 8, 2, 8 says that we know in all things that God works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. To every person here who feels suppressed, Psalm 46, 1 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. To every person here who feels directionless, Psalm chapter three, verses five and six, read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. To every person here who feels discouraged, Deuteronomy 31, eight reads, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. To every distressed person in this place, Psalm chapter nine, verses nine and 10 read, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you for you, Lord, and they're forsaken those who seek you. To every person who's feeling defeated right about now, John chapter 16, verse 33 reads, I have told you these things so that in me you may find peace. In this world you will have trouble, but make no mistake, don't get it twisted. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. I have defeated that which you believe has defeated you, says the Lord. To everyone here who feels confused, James 1.5 says that if any of you last wixom, ask God of it and he will give it to you. Because 1 Corinthians 14.33 says God is not a God of confusion, but of peace to every frustrated person. Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future to every exhausted person. God tells you in Matthew chapter 11 verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To every person who's grieving, to every person who's mourning, Psalm chapter 30 verse 5 says that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Let me say
it this way. The morning will end in the morning to every person who feels unseen and unrewarded. Psalm 84:11 says that the Lord withholds no good thing from those who walk with integrity. To every waiting person, Isaiah 40 verse 31 reads, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. To every person who feels like they've done more bad and good, to every person who feels like they're too far gone, to every person who feels like they're beyond the point of repair, return, and resurrection, God says to you in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm full of hope because the tomb is empty. For every problem that you're facing, there is a promise to fight with. Oh, the word of God is my weapon. So before potential out of say, before my problem ever stepped on the scene, a promise went before me, which means that healing goes before me, which means that restoration goes before me, which means that freedom goes before me, which means that blessing goes before me, which means that breakthrough goes before me. Is there any person in this place who has some hope, make some noise for Jesus? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is hope that we can anchor to. Hope is only hope when rude in truth. And God, truth is all you speak. So God, we cling to your word. We hide it within our hearts. And we trust you even when life feels so unstable. Father, I pray, God, that right now you would stir up faith within your people that God, a fresh wave of hope would wash over this room and that God, you would fill their minds, their hearts, their spirits with peace that can only come from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.